You're listening to The Ancient Tradition. A Wonk Media Production. Music provided by Joseph McDade. Here's your host, Dr. Jack Logan. Welcome to The Ancient Tradition. I'm your host, Jack Logan. In this podcast, Audio Writ, you'll find recordings of ancient and modern writings that are directly relevant to the ancient tradition, which refers to the first religious tradition imparted to human beings in the beginning. On this platform, you can find an entire podcast dedicated to trying to reconstruct that first religious tradition from all of the evidence that we can find in the ancient record. If you haven't given it a listen, I highly recommend you check it out. Just search for The Ancient Tradition or visit our website, theancienttradition.com. Today's audio recording comes from the book Reading the Epic of Gilgamesh, which contains Andrew George's definitive English translation. Scholars date the poem to sometime between 2100 and 1200 BC, which makes it the earliest known literary composition of note, and the second oldest religious text after the pyramid text. Because the poem was inscribed on cuneiform tablets, several of which were damaged, you'll notice that some sections of the poem are missing. The Epic of Gilgamesh, Tablet 11, Immortality Denied. Gilgamesh asks Unapishtim how he gained eternal life, and here's how Unapishtim survived the deluge and was given immortality by the gods as a result. Yunapishtim suggests Gilgamesh go without sleep for a week. Gilgamesh fails the test and realizes in despair that if he cannot beat sleep, he has no hope of conquering death. Yunapishtim commands his ferryman to have Gilgamesh bathe and dress himself in more kingly garments and to escort him back to Uruk. Yunapishtim's wife counsels him to give the departing hero the customary present for his journey. Yunapishtim tells Gilgamesh how, deep under the sea, A plant-like coral grows that has the property of rejuvenation. Gilgamesh dives to the seabed and retrieves it. He and Urshanabi leave for Uruk. Stopping at the welcoming pool, Gilgamesh bathes in its waters, and a snake seizes on his inattention to steal the precious plant. Knowing that he will never rediscover the exact spot where he dived, Gilgamesh realizes at last that all his labors have been in vain. His hopes are destroyed. It would have been better not to have met Yunapishtim at all. He and Urshanabi arrive in Uruk, where, with words that echo the prologue, Gilgamesh shows the ferryman the walls that will be his enduring monument. Said Gilgamesh to him, to Yunapishtim the distant, I look at you, Yunapishtim. Your form is no different. You are just like me. You are not any different. You are just like me. I was fully intent on making you fight, but now in your presence my hand is stayed. How was it you stood with the gods in assembly? How did you find the life eternal? Said Unapishtim to him, to Gilgamesh. Let me disclose, O Gilgamesh, a matter most secret. To you I will tell a mystery of gods. The town of Sarupak, a city well known to you, which stands on the banks of the rivers Euphrates, this city was old. The gods once were in it, when the great gods decided to send down the deluge. Their father Anu swore an oath, and their counselor, the hero Enlil, their chamberlain, the god Ninurta, their sheriff, the god Enugi. Princely Ea swore with them also, repeating their words to a fence made of reed. O fence of reed, 
a wall of brick. Hear this, O fence, pay heed, O wall. O man of Shurupak, son of Ubertutu, demolish the house and build a boat. Abandon wealth and seek survival. Spurn property, save life. Take on board the boat, all living things seed. The boat you will build, her dimensions all shall be equal. Her length and breadth shall be the same. Cover her with a roof like the ocean below. I understood and spoke to Ea, my master. I obey, O master, what thus you told me. I understood, and I shall do it. But how do I answer my city, the crowd, and the elders? Ea opened his mouth to speak, saying to me, his servant, Also you will say to them this, For sure the god Enlil feels for me hatred. In your city I can live no longer, I can tread no more on Enlil's ground. I must go to the ocean below to live with Ea, my master, and he will send you a rain of plenty, an abundance of birds, a profusion of fishes. He will provide a harvest of riches. In the morning he will send you a shower of bread cakes, and in the evening a torrent of wheat. At the very first glimmer of brightening dawn, at the gate of Atrahasius, assembled the land. The carpenter carrying his hatchet, the reed worker carrying his stone, the shipwright bearing his heavy weight axe. The young men were. The old men bearing ropes of palm fiber. The old men bearing ropes of palm fiber. The rich man was carrying the pitch. The poor man brought the tackle. By the fifth day, I had set her hull in position. One anchor was her area, ten rods the height of her sides. At ten rods also the sides of her roof were each the same length. I set in place her body. I drew up her design. Six decks I gave her, dividing her thus into seven. Into nine compartments I divided her interior. I struck the bilge plugs into her middle. I saw to the punting poles and put in the tackle. Three myriad measures of pitch I poured in the furnace, three myriad of tar I within. Three myriad of oil fetched the workforce of porters. Aside from the myriad of oil consumed in libation, there were two myriad of oil stowed away by the boatmen. For my workmen I butchered oxen and lambs I slaughtered daily, beer and ale, oil and wine. Like water from a river I gave my workforce, so they enjoyed a feast like the days of New Year. At sunrise I set my hand to the oiling. Before the sun set the boat was complete were very arduous. From back to front we moved poles for the slipway until two-thirds of the boat had entered the water. Everything I owned, I loaded aboard. All the silver I owned, I loaded aboard. All the gold I owned, I loaded aboard. All the living creatures I had, I loaded aboard. I sent on board all my kith and kin, the beasts of the field, the creatures of the wild, and members of every skill and craft. The time which the sun got appointed, in the morning he will send you a shower of bread cakes, and in the evening a torrent of wheat. Go into the boat and seal your hatch. That time had now come. In the morning he will send you a shower of bread cakes, and in the evening a torrent of wheat. I examined the look of the weather. The weather to look at was full of foreboding. I went into the boat and sealed my hatch. To the one who sealed the boat, Puzer and Lil, the shipwright, I gave my palace with all its goods. At the very first glimmer of brightening dawn, there arose the horizon, a dark cloud of black. 
and bellowing within it was Adad, the storm god. The gods Shalot and Hanish were going before him, bearing his throne over mountain and land. The god Erechal was uprooting the mooring poles. Ninurta, passing by, made the weirs overflow. The Anunnaki gods carried torches of fire, scorching the country with brilliant flashes. The stillness of the storm god passed over the sky, and all that was bright then turned into darkness. He charged the land like a bull on the rampage. He smashed it in pieces like a vessel of clay. For a day the gale winds flattened the country. Quickly they blew, and then came the deluge. Like a battle, the cataclysm passed over the people. One man could not discern another, nor could people be recognized amid the destruction. Even the gods took fright at the deluge. They left and went up to the heaven of Anu, lying like dogs curled up in the open. The goddess cried out like a woman in childbirth. Belit Ilili wailed, whose voice is so sweet. The golden times have turned to clay. Because I spoke evil in the gods' assembly, how could I speak evil in the gods' assembly and declare a war to destroy my people? It is I who give birth. These people are mine. And now, like fish, they fill the ocean. The Anunnaki gods were weeping with her. Wet-faced with sorrow, they were weeping with her. Their lips were parched and stricken with fear. For six days and seven nights, there blew the wind, the downpour, the gale, the deluge. It flattened the land. By the tenth day when it came, the gale relented. The deluge ended. The ocean grew calm that had thrashed like a woman in labor. The tempest grew still. The deluge ended. I looked at the weather. It was quiet and still, but all the people had turned to clay. The floodplain was flat like the roof of a house. I opened a vent. On my cheeks fell the sunlight. Down, said I. I knelt and I wept. Down my cheeks the tears were coursing. I scanned the horizons, the edge of the ocean. In fourteen places there rose an island. On the mountain of Nimush the boat ran aground. Mount Nimush held the boat fast, allowed it no motion. One day and a second, Mount Nimush held the boat fast, allowed it no motion. A third day and a fourth, Mount Nimush held the boat fast, allowed it no motion. A fifth day and sixth day, Mount Nimush held the boat fast, allowed it no motion. The seventh day, when it came, I brought out a dove. I let it loose. Off went the dove, but then it returned. There was no place to land, so back it came to me. I brought out a swallow. I let it loose. Off went the swallow, but then it returned. There was no place to land, so back it came to me. I brought out a raven. I let it loose. Off went the raven. It saw the waters receding, finding food, bowing and bobbing. It did not come back to me. I brought out an offering to the four winds made sacrifice. Incense I placed on the peak of the mountain. Seven flasks and seven I set in position. Reed, cedar, and myrtle I piled beneath them. The gods did smell the savor. The gods did smell the savor sweet. The gods gathered like flies around the man making sacrifice. Then at once, Belit Ili arrived. She lifted the flies of Lapis Lusuli that Anu had made for their courtship. O oh gods, let these great beads in this necklace of mine make me remember these days and never forget them. All the gods shall come to the incense, but to the incense let Enlil not come. Because he lacked counsel and brought on the deluge and delivered my people into destruction. Then at once Enlil arrived, he saw the boat, he was seized with anger, filled with rage at the divine Igigi. From where escaped this living being? 
No man was meant to survive the destruction. Ninurta opened his mouth to speak, saying to the hero Enlil, Who, if not Ea, could cause such a thing? Ea alone knows how all things are done. Ea opened his mouth to speak, saying to the hero Enlil, You, the sage of the gods, the hero, how could you lack counsel and bring on the deluge? On him who transgresses, inflict his crime. On him who does wrong, inflict his wrongdoing. Slack off, lest it snap. Pull tight, lest it slacken. Instead of your causing the deluge, a lion could have risen and diminished the people. Instead of causing the deluge, a wolf could have risen and diminished the people. Instead of causing the deluge, a famine could have happened and slaughtered the land. Instead of your causing the deluge, the plague god could have risen and slaughtered the land. It was not I disclosed the great god's secret. Atrahasis, I let see a vision, and thus he learned our secret, and now decide what to do with him. Enlil came up inside the boat. He took hold of my hand and brought me on board. He brought aboard my wife and made her kneel at my side. He touched our foreheads, standing between us to bless us. In the past, Unapishtim was a mortal man, but now he and his wife shall become like us gods. Unapishtim shall dwell far away where the rivers flow forth. So far away they took me and settled me where the rivers flow forth. But you now, who will convene for you the gods' assembly, so you can find the life you search for? For six days and seven nights, come, do without slumber. As soon as Gilgamesh squatted down on his haunches, sleep like a fog already breathed over him, said Unapishtim to her, to his wife, See the fellow who so desired life sleep like a fog already breathes over him. Said his wife to him, to Unapishtim the distant, Touch the man and make him awake. The way he came, he shall go back in well-being. By the gate he came forth, he shall return to his land. Said Unapishtim to her, to his wife, Man is deceitful. He will deceive you. Go, bake for him his daily bread loaf, and line them up by his head, and mark on the wall the days that he sleeps. So she baked him his daily bread loaf. She lined them by his head, noting on the wall the days that he slept. His first bread loaf was all dried up. The second was leathery, soggy, the third. The fourth flour cake had turned to white. The fifth had cast a mold of gray. Fresh baked was the sixth. The seventh still on the coals. Then he touched him, and the man awoke. Said Gilgamesh to him, to Unapished him the distant. No sooner had sleep spilled itself over me, then forthwith you touched me and made me awake. Said Yenapishtim to him, to Gilgamesh, Come, Gilgamesh, count me your bread loaves. Then you will learn the days that you slept. Your first bread loaf was all dried up. The second was leathery, soggy the third. The fourth flour cake had turned to white. The fifth had cast a mold of gray. Fresh bake was the sixth, the seventh still on the coals, and only then did I touch you. Said Gilgamesh to him, to Yenapishtim the distant, Oh, you napished him, what should I do and where should I go? A thief has taken hold of my flesh, for there in my bedchamber death does abide, and wherewith I turn, there too will be death, said you napished him to him, to the boatman, Urshanabi. May the quay reject you, Urshanabi, the fairy, scorn you. You who used to walk this shore, be banished from it now. As for the man that you led here, his body is tousled with matted hair. The pelts have ruined his body's beauty. Take him, Urshanabi. Lead him to the wash tub. 
Have him wash his matted locks as clean as can be. Let him cast off his pelts and the sea bear them off. Let his body be soaked till fair. Let a new kerchief be made for his head. Let him wear royal robes, the dress fitting his dignity. Until he goes home to his city, until he reaches the end of his road, let the robes show no mark, but stay fresh and new. Urshanabi took him and led him to the wash tub. He washed his matted locks as clean as could be. He cast off his pelts, and the sea bore them off. His body was soaked till fair. He made him a new kerchief for his head. He wore royal robes, the dress fitting his dignity. Until he goes home to his city, until he reaches the end of his road, let the robes show no mark, but stay fresh and new. Gilgamesh and Urshanabi crewed the boat. They launched the craft and crewed it themselves. Said his wife to him, to Yunapishtim him the distant, Gilgamesh came here by toil and by travail. What have you given for his homeward journey? And Gilgamesh, he picked up a punting pole. He brought the boat back near to the shore. Said Yunapishtim to him, to Gilgamesh, You came here, O Gilgamesh, by toil and by travail. What do I give you for your homeward journey? Let me disclose, O Gilgamesh, a matter most secret. To you I will tell a mystery of gods. There is a plant that looks like a box thorn. It has prickles like a dog rose and will prick one who plucks it. But if you can possess this plant, you'll be again as you were in your youth. Just as soon as Gilgamesh had heard what he said, he opened a channel. Heavy stones he tied to his feet, and they pulled him down to the ocean below. He took the plant and pulled it up and lifted it. The heavy stones he cut loose from his feet, and the sea cast him up on its shore. Said Gilgamesh to him, to Urshanabi the boatman, This plant, Urshanabi, is the plant of heartbeat. With it a man can regain his vigor. To Uruk the sheephold I will take it. To an ancient I will feed some, and put the plant to the rest. Its name shall be Old Man Grown Young. I will eat it myself, and be again as I was in my youth. At twenty leagues they broke bread, at thirty leagues they stopped for the night. Gilgamesh found a pool whose water was cool. Down he went into it to bathe in the water. Of the plant's fragrance, a snake caught scent, came up in silence, and bore the plant off. As it turned away, it sloughed its skin. Then Gilgamesh sat down and wept. Down his cheeks, the tears were coursing. He spoke to Urshanabi, the boatman. For whom Urshanabi toiled my arms so hard? For whom ran dry the blood of my heart? Not for myself did I find a bounty. For the lion of the earth I have done a favor. Now far and wide the tide is rising. Having opened the channel, I abandoned the tools. What thing would I find that served as my landmark? Had I only turned back and left the boat on the shore. At twenty leagues they broke bread. At thirty leagues they stopped for the night. When they arrived in Uruk the sheepfold, said Gilgamesh to him, to Urshanabi the boatman, O Urshanabi, climb Uruk's wall and walk back and forth. Survey its foundations, examine the brickwork. Were its bricks not fired in an oven? Did the seven sages not lay its foundations? A square mile is city, a square mile date grove, a square mile is clay pit, half a square mile the temple of Ishtar, three square miles and a half is Oryx's expanse. That concludes the Epic of Gilgamesh, Tablet 11. I hope you enjoyed this audio recording. 
The Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the world's oldest religious texts, and it plays a very important role in our sister podcast, where we dive into comparative religion and share with you the amazing, even mind-boggling parallels between religious traditions. I highly recommend checking it out. Just search for the Ancient Tradition Podcast. That wraps up this edition of Audio Rip. Remember, in the words of William Shakespeare, knowledge is the wing wherewith we fly to heaven. I'm Jack Logan. You've been listening to The Ancient Tradition, a Wonk Media production.